0: Welcome to the Future Think podcast from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with my colleague, Andrew Maynard, we chat with a variety of experts on and off campus about science, technology, innovation, and policy. This podcast brings you the hallway conversations where we think about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I sat down with. One of my favorite collaborators, Jacqueline Warnemont or Jackie, we call her. Uh, Jackie Warnemont does approximately a hundred things on campus here at ASU. She is an assistant professor in the Department of English. She is an affiliate faculty member in the School for Social Transformation, the School for Film, Theater, and Dance, the School for the Future of Innovation and in Society, where I am. Um, she is the founding co-director of the Human Security Collaboratory, which we call HS CoLab at the Global Security Initiative, a think tank for global security issues um, here at ASU. She is also the director of the Computational and Digital Humanities Certificate Program and the interim director of the Nexus Lab Um, Jackie does a million million different things she uh, calls herself a well what does she call herself a uh, a feminist historian of technologies of commemoration and imagination so andrew and i talk with jackie about um some of the challenges around uh, algorithmic bias and data algorithms and i hope you enjoy this uh this chat um before we begin um as always please uh Feel free uh, to or feel compelled to uh, reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Um, you can tweet us. Our handle is uh, Future Think Pod. Um, you can also leave us comments on iTunes or SoundCloud. Please feel free to rate us. Um, please feel free to follow us on iTunes or Stitcher, where we are also located now. So we hope you enjoy this talk. Thanks. All right. Hey, Andrew. Hi, Heather. Well, we're here with Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Hey, y'all. So we're going to talk about algorithmic bias. Mm -hmm. You have things to say about that.
1: I have a few things. What
2: Uh, kind of things? Well, I want to know what it is. (laughs) 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 Let's start with real basics.
0: So first, do we know what algorithms are? Why don't you tell us? Pretend we know nothing, which is probably true. (laughs) I, I suspect you
1: know a little bit, but I mean... The term algorithm, right, uh, quite old, goes back to early um, uh, Arabic mathematics, thinking about algebra, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it's something that you probably have every day in your life, right? So if you think about a recipe, Mm -hmm. right? Right. That's an algorithm. Okay, it's okay. a set of
2: instructions that tell you how to do something. That's right. Yes. Right.
1: Step by step instructions, if you think about computer programming, mm-hmm. that's kind of algorithm, right? So anything, even if you, you know, are telling someone how to take down a sign or tie a shoe, mm-hmm. right, you can think of that as a very small algorithm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So bias, right? We know what bias is. Right. right. Yeah. All right. Um, so insofar as algorithms offer a step by step set of procedures, they necessarily choose some choices and not others, right? Mm -hmm. right? Um, So there are ways in which there are certain assumptions, uh, sort of tacit knowledge um, can be written into algorithms, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also ways algorithms, um, when we're talking about computational algorithms, mm-hmm. they're usually tested on a, a subset of data, right, to refine it and make sure it works. Right. Um, it's kind of like the, the sanity check mm-hmm. on an algorithm mm-hmm. um, and bias can be introduced if the algorithm is run on a test set that is restricted.
2: Right, okay.
0: So, so. you have two different kinds of bias there. Okay, so how, so restricting a, te- a test set, for example, by only testing the algorithm on men or That's right. women. Right. That's right, or white people. Right. right.
2: <laughs> so, so we've sort of already jumped to sort of people and society. So, mm-hmm. what sort of algorithms or instruction sets are we talking about now? Presumably, things that are relevant to people.
1: Right, things that are relevant to people, um, but we can talk about, right, like, um, you know, there are algorithms that help figure out targeted advertising, right? Okay. And so right. so that's not necessarily about people mm-hmm. per se, but, mm-hmm. but it is. But people part of the process, yeah. Yeah. yes. yes. Um, and part of the reason that I bring that uh, particular example up is uh, that's what fed one of my favorite examples of algorithmic bias, which is known as... Um, Digital or reverse redlining. Okay. Right. So mm-hmm. in the city of Detroit, right, uh, you had uh, you had this all over the U.S. Right in the early part of the or the middle of the 20th century, um, bias uh, towards in favor of white homeowners on the part of banks mm-hmm. and mortgage lenders, right, mm-hmm. which effectively kept people of color out of neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, Phenomenon known as redlining, later you know became illegal, etc. Right, right, right. right. Um, So there, the the new version of that is the use of um, particular marketing algorithms to target people in low income neighborhoods for subprime mortgages. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the reason that it's described as reverse redlining is because it takes the people who were originally segregated via redlining
2: uh-huh. and it now targets them. And it yes. now targets them. Yes. Right. Yeah. Got it. So, so this is interesting. So this to me is a very explicit form of bias. There's an in, there's an intent there to target certain populations. So are we making a distinction between purposely targeting certain populations and inadvertently targeting them?
1: Well, so I'm not so sure if you speak to someone who's developing, right, algorithmic um, tools can be quite complicated, mm-hmm. right? So yes. unlike the recipe that I have at home, right, for whatever I might cook for dinner tonight, uh, there tends to be multiple hands Mm -mm, in mm -hmm. modern algorithms, right? right? So it's very rarely the case that a single person has written the algorithm, right? Right. Um, But it is the case that uh, a set of things that seem to be about one thing can also impact another. So in the case of the reverse redlining, it's not so much the case in the modern instance that people said, I want to target people of color for mm-hmm. subprime mm-hmm. loans. Right. What they said is the people who are most likely to want to buy a house are not yet in a house mm-hmm. and can't uh, qualify for a traditional loan mm-hmm. live in these neighborhoods.
2: Right. Okay. So okay. it's it's an unintended effect of the rules mm-hmm. that you end up targeting that that mm-hmm. population, but nobody set out to actually target them. Right. They, it's just the way they created the rules. That's right. Okay.
1: Right. Okay. With you. Which is why it's um, algorithmic bias can be very difficult, mm. right? Many yes. hands, mm-hmm. unconscious bias, mm-hmm. um, things that effectively serve as proxies mm-hmm. for yes. race, gender, class, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, those things tend to be
0: um, exacerbated
1: mm-hmm. by algorithmic mm-hmm. bias. Yes. or by algorithmic processes. Right.
0: So more and more as we introduce new technologies into the ways that we live daily, right, um, new technologies increasingly involve complex computing, which is based at the end of the day on algorithms, everything, right, that we do. A lot, yeah. So it seems very and gloom right that how can one control or how can one prevent algorithmic bias? like is there it can you even I don't know what do you guys think
2: well actually I so coming at this almost naively not quite naively it strikes me that the more complex we get with computing systems mm-hmm. the more similar they get to how we train people so you think about a, a child growing up. Um, uh, partially the way that a child sees the world, their, their worldview, is based on what they learn from the people around them. Mm-hmm. That's that learning process where you're giving them their own internal instruction set. Yeah. And we know quite a bit about what leads to certain ways of seeing the world, um, how you can strongly bias that, and how you can begin to unravel that bias. And I, I wonder whether there is learning that we can take from people. And begin to apply to code-based systems.
1: So that's an interesting idea. What are the best practices for uh, doing that kind of education with people?
2: That's a really good and a really contentious yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I and I and again, I am just speaking from my own perspective. Um, but certainly, um, you see a lot of the attempts to um, sort of bring in this aspect of questioning with with children. Um, this idea of fundamental human rights and values that are embedded in Mm -hmm. conversations and an awareness and a a fairly constant reflexivity of asking, are we introducing bias here? Is there anything Mm -hmm. that we can do to decrease bias in the way we're actually teaching these children and teaching them how to think Mm -hmm. and to see people and to see their their place in the world? So there are a number of principles, I, I think, where we're constantly evaluating what we're doing and whether it aligns with what we're trying to achieve. Um, and that's where I wonder whether there are lessons that we can either learn from there or people already doing this in terms of how mm-hmm. they begin to code.
1: Um, well, so I think that the your invocation there of reflexivity and questioning mm. is really important right. and is not necessarily a part of the system yet in terms of right. of algorithmic culture right right mm-hmm. um so you know when you have large proprietary um algorithms so mm-hmm. if you think about like the facebook algorithms or those in google mm-hmm. we can't as outsiders question them because they're proprietary yeah right yes. so this yeah. is yeah. where yes. you get something like Frank Pasquale's idea of black box society. Right,
2: it's it's a trust me situation. Right. Yes.
0: Which I don't. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I met Frank Pasquale when I was 16 years old, and he was 17.
1: All right. Yes. Yes. He does really smart work. He does really (laughs) smart work. Yeah. Um, So you know this idea. So there's a there's. we can't question from outside when they're right. proprietary. That's one challenge. Yes. A second challenge is that um, I'm not sure that robust, ongoing reflexivity is currently a part of programming culture, right? Right. Yes. right, right? And so this idea that um, you know not only do you need to sit down and test it to see if it works based on how you thought it was going to work, mm-hmm. but you should probably also run it against a bunch of things that aren't just the norm, Mm -hmm, right? mm So you could have someone who was super reflexive and who did a lot of testing and refining of an algorithm, but if they only did it on a a normalized subset of the population, or a normalized subset of the data, they could miss a whole ton of things. Absolutely, because
2: they don't have that full perspective. They've got a very good perspective.
0: Right, yeah. Well, yes, and so that seems to invite the idea that one person can't do this as a solo act. Even the most reflexive person can't do this as a solo act. But then one of the problems with, you know, that you started with, or, well, maybe didn't start with it with the second thing, right? Is that these algorithms are incredibly complex and have so many different hands in them, Mm -hmm. but you need so many different hands. and So, uh, how, (laughs) uh, the Gordian knot is killing me. Well, I mean, I think part of it is you could have lots of different individual hands,
1: but if they all look the same, okay, then then it's you can then you no longer have the problem of attributing a single person's uh, drive to do something, right? There isn't mm-hmm. a kind of single culpability. But if, for example, um, you know the the terrible case of. Um, Auto tagging of uh, photographs, mm-hmm. yes. right? Uh, yes, right. Where the algorithm identified black people as apes. Yes, right. Yes. So because
2: nobody thought to actually address that. Right, there? because yes.
1: they presumably tested it on a bunch of pictures of presumably people they knew, mm-hmm. and presumably that meant that the people who were doing the testing mm-hmm. were not themselves black. So, so yeah.
2: that case to me is interesting. I mean, so this is a, a case of a, a learning algorithm. Mm-hmm. So you, you teach it and, and train it and then mm-hmm. you see yeah. what it does. So you can imagine one of the, um, the stage gates, if you like, with something like this, is once you've got the algorithm, seeing how it, it responds in a range of situations, the, the difficulty with this particular application was that the testing was in the public domain, Mm -hmm. so the harm was done in the testing. Mm -hmm. So in cases like that, surely there's an argument for that broad testing to be done before, either before the algorithm hits the public domain, Mm -hmm. or with the full understanding that this is still part of the learning process.
1: Yeah, I mean, I absolutely think it has to. Right, because the the way that, it would be one thing if they said, we have a, a learning algorithm um, and we want to see what happens, right? Mm-hmm. This is like a big social experiment. Right. That would be one thing. But that's not what they said. What they said mm-hmm. is, here's this neat tool that we deliver right. to you, right. Right. Right? right? Which suggests that it's a finished product. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in that situation, I think you absolutely have to do that broad testing before you have a kind of wide market release. Right. right, right.
2: And it's, so this is a probably a really bad analogy and it'll fall apart really fast. But you go back to that idea mm-hmm. of teaching kids. Mm-hmm. It's the yeah. idea of taking a, a first grader who is still going to blurt out utterly inappropriate things because they haven't learned what's right and oh. wrong, and pretending they're, that they're a grown adult. Mm-hmm. Um, My
0: 13th grader just did uh, that right, okay, today. the
2: right. so. <laughs> so, so we understand with kids, they're still learning, and when they do something wrong, we correct them. Right. But if you were to sort of put them in a man's suit or a woman's suit and pretend that mm-hmm. they were sort of some executive of some company, right. it's a very different situation.
0: Right. There are those who can argue that we, as a nation, have just done that. Um, <laughs> I, you know, <don't laughs> but um, another so, uh, interesting case where alg- algorithms went horribly wrong. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. So, what happens then when we, if we treat all algorithmic uh, projects or? Um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for, products, right? Um, As constantly in a state of learning, how does that jive with the drive or desire to increase public's trust in algorithms as doing some of the work for us in society in medicine in policing in you know security if we you know how can we reconcile that well i do think there's a an important distinction to be made between right
1: algorithmic processes in machine learning Mm -hmm. or artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. and those in more static applications okay so the majority of applications are not learning algorithms right right now right Right. so they're they have been set and Mm -hmm. they could Mm -hmm. be refined Mm -hmm. um but they're not really learning in quite the same way that that particular photo tagging one Uh was right Uh um so there's i think um you know this is a, a kind of uh, predictable answer, but I think education about what an algorithm is, mm-hmm, right? A kind mm-hmm. of demystification. Yeah. Yeah, if you think about it as a recipe, sure, it's not so scary, right? right if yeah. you think about it as a set of instructions for putting together your IKEA furniture, not so scary. Right. Um, so I think we need a certain kind of demystification of what it is mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. what they are, um, alongside a kind of um, ability to discriminate between ones that are, Uh, sort of set, even Mm -hmm. if just for a moment, and those that are learning, right? Because the ones that are set, I think, have to be held to that standard of trust. Uh And ones that are learning, I think, have to be marked as learning, Mm -hmm. right? Or exploratory, if you want to build public trust. Now, I'm not entirely convinced that a lot of people who are using pretty robust algorithms are actually interested in public trust, Okay. Um, in part because they run them out, they say sorry if they go wrong, and then they right. take them back and they you still know, make a billion I, dollars. And I'm guessing
2: mm-hmm. the vast majority of algorithms out there, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. They. Um, they're, they're, totally opaque to, mm-hmm. to people's everyday lives. Well, opaque.
0: are they totally invisible? To, like, are we well, being so, asked so on, Well, if right? you think
2: of everything around you, the recorder that we're using here, your mm-hmm. computer, there, even the, the environment in this office, everything's being run by algorithms, and you don't sit there... In this existential crisis, thinking, are these algorithms biased? Sort of, um, you don't have the bandwidth to worry about that most of the time. Okay. So Apart from may... the fact the heating in this room. Yes, obviously I is was going to say. <laughs> I was
0: just thinking about that. Yes, my office is freezing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so there might be instances where we think of um,
1: the the stakes of bias action as particularly high, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, healthcare. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, You know where things are literally life and death. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Things like self-driving cars. We might think real hard about that Uh one again. Yep. Might be life and death. Yeah. So I was
2: thinking about financial systems as well, where you're beginning Mm -hmm. to get um, these trading algorithms that trade faster than a human can follow. That's right. Right. You have to trust that they're doing the right thing. Right.
1: And and you see some weird market effects as a result of that, right? You get Mm -hmm. these strange drops that people can't explain except that. There was some sort of algorithm yeah. in place that caused it, and everybody just has to kind of wait and see what happens. Right. 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 And so, in that case, you move away from a kind of human logic
0: mm-hmm.
1: or market logic, abil- like an ability to explain say the stock market in terms of either fiscal logic or human logic mm-hmm. um, and instead you have to then think about kind of these procedural or algorithmic logics mm-hmm. and if you don't have access to that algorithm it's quite difficult to make sense of it and then it, be, it, it seems much more mysterious and mm-hmm. I think much scarier. Right. Yeah well no, go ahead.
2: Yeah so one of the things that, that fascinates me here is this idea of emergent properties. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the systems ha- um behaving in ways that, that weren't predicted by how they were coded um, and we're most used to that I guess with bugs in software so mm-hmm. most emerging mm-hmm. properties stop things working right. but to what extent are we finding evidence that you can have unusual or unanticipated behavior that doesn't sort of kill systems mm. but just leaves them behaving in ways that we wouldn't have predicted
1: that's an interesting question I mean, right, so it, I guess it depends on who's doing the predicting also, right? right? Because right. one of the, the problems is that people say, oh, well, I couldn't have predicted that this was going to specifically target people in exactly the same geographic way that mm-hmm. redlining mm-hmm. did, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, And so right. they might call that an emergent behavior. But
2: it's not to somebody else. That's who right. Who would have spotted mm-hmm. it. Yes. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, the question is, like, from what perspective? Sure, yes. Um, yeah. and, and for whom is it not anticipated? Yeah. And the... Um, you know, I mean, I think when you get to talking about learning algorithms, that's an entirely different thing, right? Because that's, that's putting together things in ways that, that are much harder to parse. Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: So I, I guess I want to hold out some hope that it's not all a big threat, right? Mm -hmm. That, there can be value in learning algorithms that may go in very positive directions, uh-huh. and and maybe some of the, you know, maybe some of the learning algorithms that end up targeting the same kind of marginalized groups that were targeted um, in redlining or reverse redlining approaches. You know, I always come at this from a healthcare perspective, and what if those groups, those targeted groups, for example, you know, in inner city neighborhoods in Detroit are targeted because, or Flint, Michigan, right? What if we end up targeting those groups? And yes, indeed, they are at higher risk of brain damage because of, you know, issues with the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that seems to me like there's a big public good there to be realized, and so I'm afraid that All of the messaging around algorithms in their mystified way right as as you said we need to demystify them and books very useful books like um, uh, weapons of math destruction Mm -hmm. right which I enjoyed very much very much and we will link to in the show notes because (laughs) I think that it's worth it's worth taking in Um, but I am afraid that if we as a society develop this You know, skepticism that goes beyond healthy skepticism, that we might lose a lot of power that could do good. Yeah, I mean, I I am sympathetic to that, and I
1: am in no way a kind of doom and gloom only or like a scary boogeyman in your closet, Mm -hmm. although sometimes I do invoke that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the thing to be mindful of, right, is that if a single algorithm is being deployed Mm -hmm. to answer a question, it's it's like a single solution right Uh Right? yeah it's just like a single medical solution it's like a Mm -hmm. single engineering solution Mm -hmm. right we know that universal solutions are problematic right Mm -hmm. right? yeah yeah um and that context matters right and so i would say when we're thinking about algorithmic processes the goal is not to say algorithms are bad right the recipe Uh that i use to make something this thanksgiving is really useful. Yeah, like yeah I yeah. need it because right, I'm right. not going to remember all that stuff from year to year, right? right. Um, and in the case that you're talking but, but, about, but but
2: yeah. I would say there is bias there because if you if your uh-huh. recipe tells you how to cook a turkey, it doesn't uh-huh. help tell you how to cook anything else. So you know, it's already it's already yeah, sort yeah. of. Locking you into mm-hmm. a certain pathway, which is fine in this this case, right? But if it's the wrong algorithm for the wrong issue, that's right. It doesn't work.
1: That's yes. right, right? If I need to cook a Cornish hen, that recipe is not doing me any that's good, it. right? Yes. Or, for example, my my cookie recipe does not work here in Arizona because it's so dry, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So I had to add water. But you're the, smart the enough the
2: to recognize what you need where, well, and to adapt. Actually, somebody else helped me. Okay, but, right. Uh, <laughs> right.
1: But that points to other experience, right? So, so what I would say. Is that not only should we not have single algorithms to address mm-hmm. problems, right? Because mm-hmm. as you suggest, that's a, a limited and and confining view, right? So, we ought to come up with many different algorithms, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Um, in order to solve things. But that's expensive and yeah. people, and time-consuming, and people don't want to do it. They want a magic bullet, and that's that's where things are problematic. It's mm-hmm. not the use of algorithmic thinking that is problematic mm-hmm. per se, right? Mm-hmm. It's the idea that it could be a magic bullet to fix everything Uh for it's it's that
2: naivety and I so there are so many parallels here I think with uh, the medical world so you look at um, drug prescriptions for mm-hmm. instance mm-hmm. where if you have a certain very narrow view and a very singular view about how you address a particular condition with a particular drug you actually miss a whole range of other possibilities
0: oh yeah right, right.
1: Yeah. and you can do a great deal of harm That's right exactly yeah. it, yes. i think about the you know the classic studies of uh cardiac care for black men and black women mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, or women in hip replacements so there's i think you know we need a, a number of di- we need a plurality of algorithmic mm-hmm. approaches uh-huh. Uh-huh. i think we also need a a, a more inclusive algorithmic production space mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so that what you're doing then is saying more people are making these right we mm-hmm. know that the even just the gender parity in computer science is is very very poor right. and it's gotten right. worse since the 1980s mm-hmm. um you know when we're thinking about bringing in indigenous people or people of color or latinas right. um right the the the, I think we need more people there in mm. order to make more algorithms, right? Because they speak to very local contexts, right? right? Yeah. There isn't a universal panacea.
0: And of course
2: they see things in different ways, which then opens up new possibilities mm-hmm. if they're then part of the mix. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then I think the third thing, I always like to, you know, kind of wrap in threes. <laughs> um, so a plurality of algorithms, more inclusive algorithmic space. And then the third thing that, that we talked about, I think, was that the public needs to understand okay. demystifying algorithms. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would expand that, extend that too, to say not only understand, but have an appropriate set of expectations mm-hmm. for the work that algorithms can and should be doing which then is a whole other can of worms which gives us in this room lots of work to do which is of course what we try to do at the end of the day of
2: course of course (laughs) and i and i know you're trying to wrap up but what is especially interesting to me here is then how do you sort of um in fact, two things. How do you make people part of the process? Mm-hmm. So either rather than either passively accepting um, the decisions that the algorithms point you towards or point society towards mm-hmm. or actively subverting them, what is the role of everybody... Um, in terms of calling out what seems to be bad algorithmic behavior and helping correct it, and actually be part of the process of building better algorithms. Right. So, so that's one, and that links to the, the second one, which is the role of values. Mm-hmm. How do we actually begin to understand what values need to be embedded in algorithms and how do yeah. we actually embed them in there?
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Can we teach that in schools? Is that even a teachable thing? Sure,
2: I think it's, it, it has to be. I, we, we teach values all the time. I look at yourself, you're yeah. a nurse. I, yeah. you have professional values embedded in you. That's Why can't true. we do the same for other systems?
0: That's true. So where do we start with that? I mean, we are sitting here at a university. I would argue that the work of teaching values uh, that would be embedded in algorithms, must predate the university experience. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, right, it depends on, uh, I mean, right,
1: like values education is like a whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about like social contracts and individual mores and, you know, like any number of um, community practices, the, uh, there are values embedded all along, right? Mm-hmm. I think um, things that say that Computational approaches are not neutral. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: At an early level, would be great. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, things that say when you build tools or machines, those things a always carry traces of you, and b have their own effects that you could not have anticipated. Uh huh. Um, right. That those kinds of basic level things, mm-hmm. I think, could be, should be, probably are in some places part of cult or part of education. Up. Uh, you know, before you hit the, the college level. I think at the college level, right, we have a challenge in that, um, you know, in CS or engineering, even here, there's so little time for, uh, what some people might describe as the softer side of the science, right? Yeah. You know, so there's this tension between, okay, we need to teach the concepts, we need to teach the skills, so we don't have time to teach your fuzzy values things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think more and more we're seeing people shift away from that, but I think we're dealing with a 50-year legacy of that, that approach to education. Um, And so, you know, we we have to make inroads that say, no, actually, like, without the humanities, without Mm -hmm. the social sciences, without the arts, you can't do this work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But that would
0: also require a pretty radical rethinking of higher education. For example, the design aspirations of the new American University, for example. Right. At ASU.
2: I think it's a starting point. But actually, I think you've got to dig even deeper Mm -hmm. in terms of the values.
0: Oh, yeah. um, So it
2: gives you a framework to work with it.
0: Yeah, yes. I think that's right. There's a ton of work to do here. <laughs> wow. I was hoping that we could unravel this problem, but its is it well, even so, so, unravelable? So
2: we have unraveled it. We've got this whole sort of mess of strands and bits and pieces now. We've got to work out how to put it back oh, together
0: again. man. I'm a feminist. I like making mess. Work to do. <laughs> Good work at that. I feel like you have, you know, goal accomplished. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks. It's nice right. to see you. Thank Very you. Nice to see you too. For more where that came from, check out the School for the Future of Innovation and in Society at sfis.asu.edu. The Future Think podcast is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation and in Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at Arizona State University. Our music is by Mark Van Hare. Please subscribe. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and on Twitter at FutureThinkPod.